Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. So I want to tell you a little bit uh, about my father-in-law. He uh, just recently passed away. We went back to uh, Minnesota and uh, was blessed to be able to uh, do his, uh, his funeral back there. Uh, he... He is an amazing guy, and I and I use I don't say past tense, current tense. Uh, he just changed he just changed addresses. Now he's uh, he's with the Lord, an amazing guy, uh, and and had a, had an amazing life and, and an amazing ministry. Uh, knew knew at a at a pretty early age uh, in his life that he wanted to serve the Lord, and uh, he had opportunity to. Uh, to work with Billy Graham uh, in the early days. In fact, uh, he ghost-wrote Billy's first book, Peace with God. Uh, uh, Service Master is a huge uh, company and uh, started in, in Minneapolis, and he was invited to be there uh, to be the president of the company. He turned it down. Uh, years later, the, the president would, would greet him and thank him for declining that position, because <laughs> when he said no, they hired, they hired this other guy. Um, of course, uh, he, he, uh, he pastored churches. Uh, he taught in, uh, in universities. He was, uh, he was a college president, spoke all over the world, wrote, uh, wrote many, many books. But there's, there's one event in his life that I want to share with you this morning about the time that he worked with the FBI. So a young man that came across his ministry <clears throat> called him up and says, I want to come in and see you. And he said, please, come in and see me. So this, this guy comes into my father-in-law's office and he said, uh, I robbed a bank. And I got away with it. I want to turn myself in. but I want to ask, would you do it with me? And he said, okay. So he called the FBI. And uh, he says, he's talking to the, to the FBI, and he says, uh, you've got a cold case. Says, we have lots of cold cases. He says, well, I'm about to solve one for you. There was a bank robbery in such and such a city on such and such a day. And the young man that robbed that bank has just confessed the crime to me and he wants to turn himself in. Can we meet? And the FBI agent said, uh, yeah, we can do that. And so a meeting was arranged and uh, my father-in-law uh, went with this young man and handed him over to the FBI. And, of course, they arrested him, and he was tried and convicted. He, he was guilty. He did it. He went to prison. What motivated that young man to turn himself in for a crime that he got away with? 
he met Jesus. And when he met Jesus, everything changed. Now, I'm thinking about that story and thinking about that event as I'm thinking about Philemon and Onesimus and how much like Onesimus this bank robber was. If you have your Bibles, turn them to the book of Philemon. It's not really a book. It's more a page in your Bible. Third shortest book in the Bible. Third? Yeah, third. And uh, only 25 verses long. We looked at it last week from the perspective of Philemon. Now, just a little bit of a background. Paul writes this letter to Philemon. Philemon uh, was someone that was impacted by Paul's ministry. Uh, under, under Paul's preaching, Philemon had become a follower of Jesus. He lived in Colossae. Uh, he was pretty wealthy. Uh, his home was the location of the church. They met in houses back then because they didn't have buildings because that was illegal. Uh, so they, they met in his house and, we, and he, was, he, he owned slaves. He was a wealthy guy who owned slaves. And one of those slaves was a young man by the name of Onesimus. And Onesimus one day ran away. And he probably ran away and took some things with him because he had to eat and live to go to his destination. And probably wanting to get as far away from his former master as he could, Onesimus made the trek over a thousand miles to Rome. And while he was at Rome, he encounters Paul. Now, the romantic in me wants to think that it happened something like this. Somewhere along the line, from the day that he leaves uh, until he encounters Paul, he makes a commitment to Jesus. He recognizes that he needs forgiveness in his life, and, and he cries out to the Lord uh, and becomes a follower of Jesus. Now, Rome would have been a great place to go, uh, far away from Colossae, like I said, over a thousand miles. And uh, uh, at the time, at least uh, 25, some have said between 25 and 30 percent, of the, of the people who lived in and around Rome were slaves. Uh, so it's very different than slavery that we think about in, uh, 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 in America. But it would have been a place where he could have blended in. And the romantic in me wants to think that uh, uh, when, he, when he comes to know the Lord, there's a hunger uh, in his soul to learn more about the Lord. And so in his conversation, perhaps with other slaves, but perhaps with other believers, somebody says, hey, I know a guy, uh, and, and he's a great teacher, and, and you'll learn from him, so let me take you and introduce you to a man named Paul. You might have heard about him. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's established churches in other places, and, uh, uh, and Onesimus might have said, Paul? Uh, I know that name. Yeah, he, he yeah he was he came to he came to Colossae. <coughs> uh, really? Uh, you you know this guy? Yeah, yeah. He's a prisoner. He's in chains here in Rome. He's under house arrest. He can receive visitors. Come on, let me take you. And so uh, uh, the, the the connection is made, and and Paul begins to uh, disciple Onesimus, and Onesimus 
grows uh, in his faith and, and, and has a whole new appreciation and an understanding for who he is, for who God is. Uh, and Paul, probably before Onesimus, recognized that there needs to be some restorative justice in the life of Onesimus. But that's not a decision that Paul can make on Onesimus' behalf. He's got to make that decision <coughs> for himself. Excuse me here, I made a drink of water. But the day comes, the day comes when Onesimus knows that he needs to go back and make things right. And so he asks Paul, Paul, can you help me in this? And Paul says, well, let me, let me write a letter to my dear friend Philemon. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Apphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I, I could be bold, and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, 
that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Be with your spirit. Can you imagine? Putting yourself in the shoes of Onesimus and taking that trek back to Colossae, a thousand miles, with this letter in your hand? Why did he go? And why did Paul send him? Well, one could simply say it was the right thing to do. Paul knew that he was a fugitive. But again, it wasn't for Paul to decide. Onesimus needed to make that decision on his own and in his own timing. So let me ask you a question. Last week we looked at this letter from the position of Philemon. And I asked the question, what does it look like, or, or you know, what does it look like to do the right thing when it's easy? Well, you know what, I realized in the process of, of this whole sermon series that doing the right thing is rarely easy. And, and, and for Philemon to receive Onesimus back, what is, it that, what is it that Paul is really asking Philemon to do? Fundamentally, what he's asking... First up is for Philemon to forgive. To forgive Onesimus. Let me ask you a question. Which is easier? To forgive or to ask for forgiveness? Personally, I think that we have a greater challenge asking for forgiveness than extending forgiveness. I mean, there's, you know, there's something about being on the moral high ground when somebody comes to us and says, would you forgive me? That knowledge that, that I have been wronged by you and you recognize that and now I get to extend forgiveness and mercy to you. I would think, at least in my experience, that it is easier to forgive than to ask for uh, forgiveness. Asking for forgiveness puts it into a whole different realm. And we talked about last week some of the challenges of Philemon extending forgiveness to Onesimus. What did it cost him? It, it, it probably cost him economically, it cost him socially. Uh, what, were the, what would be the ramifications? Uh, what, would, would, would all the slaves then ask for, uh, uh, run away and then come back and ask for forgiveness? And 
uh, does everybody, you know, why doesn't he just, you know, do away with slavery? We know that it's wrong. And it took a long time for that to work itself out in, in the world and in, in our society. But as I said last year, last week, when, when slavery was outlawed, all we did was drive it underground. Because slavery still exists, even in this country. We know that. So what did it cost Philemon? to give forgiveness to Onesimus. We looked at that last week. What does it cost Onesimus? What's it cost him to make that trek a thousand miles back to Colossae and ask Philemon for his forgiveness? To ask, I, it's, it's, again, the, the, imagination, the imagination goes, goes wild. Uh, so uh, uh, Tychicus and, and Onesimus walk into, uh, into Colossae with letters from Paul and, and hand them to Philemon. Philemon sees Onesimus. What does he do? Does he immediately have him arrested? He has no idea the content of the letter uh, for Onesimus. Can you imagine walking every step closer, knowing knowing that it's the right thing to do, but how hard is it for him? He might be walking to his own death. He just didn't know. But you see, his relationship with Christ was such that he knew that he needed to ask for that forgiveness. It probably weighed upon his conscience. He needed to do the right thing. And we have some wonderful examples in Scripture of people doing the right thing when it was hard. You'll remember in the Old Testament, the book of Esther, you know, the, the, the story, and it's a good book, read it. Uh, uh, Esther, is a, she's a queen, and she's Jewish. The king doesn't know it. And, and they make a decree that's going to wipe out all the Jews. And, and her, her uncle Mordecai comes to her and says, look, you got to go to the king and let him know what's going on. And she says, I can't. If I go to the king uninvited, uh, and he's in a bad mood, that's it, I'm toast. If you, back then, if you went to the king uninvited, it, you, were, you were killed, unless the king had an opportunity, had a scepter. If he extended his scepter to you, then, then, then you lived. Uh, and so Mordecai says, you got to go. And she says, I can't go, I could die. And, 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 and Mordecai says, you know what? Yeah, you, you, you might die. If you don't go, relief for the Jews will come from someplace else. But it might be for just such a time as this that you find yourself in the palace. And so she sends back and says, have everybody fast and pray. I'm going to do it. And if I die, I die. She doesn't. It's a great story. You should read the rest of it. Uh, but there are other stories. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were, they were told that they were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace if they didn't bow down and worship the idol. And, 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 and the king says, see if your God can save you from that. And they very plainly said, you know what? Uh, we worship a God who could. We don't know if he will. But even if he doesn't, we're still willing to go to our death rather than compromise our integrity and our allegiance to God. 
And they go in and, of course, they survive the fiery furnace. Daniel survived being thrown in the, in the lion's den. We've got some amazing stories of people who did the hard thing and it turned out well for them. But for every story of somebody doing the hard thing because it was the right thing to do, the story doesn't always end well. This young man, he went to prison who confessed to that bank robbery. It wasn't all, oh, oh gee, wow, you did that, good for you, okay, we're going to forgive you, and all that kind of stuff. So there are consequences. Forgiveness doesn't mean that there are no consequences. And sometimes we forget that. We think that, um, uh, I can't forgive that person, then it will be like it didn't matter what they did. That's not what it's about. And, and can you imagine offering forgiveness to somebody uh, or asking somebody for forgiveness who says no? Have you ever done that? Have you ever asked somebody for forgiveness and, and they said no? I have. I, I, and, and I'm going to tell you what, it, I struggled with that for a long time. I just didn't know what to do with that. I... I, I I, 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 I read about you know, forgiveness and, and, and asking for forgiveness and being forgiven. And I asked somebody for forgiveness one time, and, and they said no. And I finally had to just leave it there and said, well, okay, that, that, that's your issue, not mine. Uh, and leave it there. But it's hard. It's hard. And so here's Onesimus. He's got this letter. He's going back to Philemon. And every step of that journey takes him closer. And I'm sure that as closer he got to Colossae, he's thinking to himself, man, I don't remember it being this such a short journey. This is the shortest thousand-mile journey I've ever taken in my life. And I wish that maybe it was about 1,500 miles as he got closer and closer. You ever had that happen to you? where you were going to an appointment and you really didn't want to go there and all of a sudden the distance seemed much shorter than it was before. But he does it. He does it because it's the right thing to do. He does it because he has a check in his spirit and he knows that he needs to make that right. But again, Paul wants to stand with him. Paul wants to encourage him. But Paul is not after punitive justice. Paul is after restorative justice. And, and yeah, you know what? There's some things in this letter that are, that are, that are kind of funny. Uh, but, you know, he, he opens up Paul as a prisoner in Jesus Christ. He doesn't want this to be a power play at all. But he does talk about uh, Philemon and his faith and all the wonderful things that he does and... and uh, 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 and, and to be active, and your, I love this. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. And then, and then later on, uh, down in verse 20, he says, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. I know you've done it for others. Can you do it for me? And then we don't really think of, of Paul as a, as a, as a very, uh, very punny guy, but uh, uh, he makes a joke in here that's hard if, if you don't read the Greek. Uh, but the name Onesimus means useful. It means useful. Uh, and, and so he writes here, 
uh, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, useful, uh, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he's become useful to both you and to me. And he sends him back because it's the right thing to do. He sends him back because he wants to be faithful and obedient to his relationship with the Lord. But he can only send him back when Onesimus is ready to go back. And Onesimus is ready to go back when he's ready to go back. And Paul gives him that grace. It's a wonderful story about, about William Penn, who uh, uh, used to wear a he used to wear a sword in his daily garb when he would you know do his uh, affairs of state and whatnot. Uh, and then when he became a Christian, uh, he struggled for he, he says, "Gee, now that I'm a Christian, does that mean I can no longer I can no longer wear my sword?" So he went to his pastor and asked. And you know what the pastor told him? Wear it as long as you can. I love that answer. I mean, some people would have said, no, you have to take it off. And you know, the church is, that's what, that's what we're known for. The church is known for, you know, kind of telling people, you can't do this, you've got to do this. I love the idea that this pastor said, you know what, Bill? Wear it as long as you can. He's confident that, that William Penn was going through a maturation process that he was maturing and there would come a point in his faith where he would be able to take the sword off and not worry about it. And legend has it that within a few months he stopped wearing it. But he stopped wearing it because he made the decision that it was no longer conducive uh, to his faith with Christ. And so Onesimus comes to that point. And, and you know where that point is? That, that's, that's a point of personal honesty. And that's really where it starts with each and every one of us. It's personal honesty. There came a point in your life where you knew that you needed forgiveness. A forgiveness that only God could offer. And you went and you asked. And he said, yes, I love you. I will forgive you. Do you know I've got people in my life that I know that, that know that they have a need to be forgiven, but think that what they have done is so heinous as to be unforgivable? God, God could never forgive me for what I've done. I can't even, I can't even ask God to forgive me. And, and I, I plead with them, you are wrong. There is nothing in all of creation that will separate you from the love of God. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. But it starts with a moment of personal honesty. You know, and that's hard in a place where we are so successful and we have everything. We have everything except a sense of our own need. And that's the need for the forgiveness that comes only through Jesus. Because that need is what, uh, that forgiveness is what brings reconciliation into our lives. Paul got to be an agent of reconciliation between Onesimus and Philemon. But honesty with God begins with honesty with self. 
And that's probably one of the biggest challenges that we face. Because as soon as we're honest with ourselves, then we know the next step is to be honest with God. And then we got to figure out how to make the rest of our lives work. Uh, this book, um, it's a great book by Gary Moon uh, called Apprenticeship with Jesus, a 30-day adventure, 30-day experience. And uh, uh, several years ago, we went through this, 30 days, we went through this, actually as I was recovering from heart surgery. Um, and uh, Gary's a great guy, and he's very entertaining, and uh, uh, I just want to talk a little bit about the, about the second chapter, uh, the second day, uh, and he talks about vampire Christianity. And so in, in vampire Christianity, so it, it starts off this way. He's at a ball game. He likes, the, he likes baseball. And he's at, a, uh, he's at a ball game, and he overhears a, a, a child uh, talking with, uh, with, her, her, with her grandfather. And she says, uh, hey, Papa, why do they let vampires onto the field? She looked worried. And everyone around stopped. It was like E.F. Hutton commercial. Grandfather says, vampires? Honey, there aren't any vampires out there. And she said, yes, there are. You said there were. You said they should throw the vampires out, that he was blind as a bat. I don't like vampires. Oh, honey, honey. I didn't say vampires. I said umpires. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then Gary writes this. I can't hear the word vampire without thinking about something I heard Dallas Willard say. Dallas believes that serious problem exists in Christian churches. He says it's rare to find anyone who wants so badly to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ that he or she is willing to pay the price for it to happen. This caused Dallas to wonder why the conservatives and the liberals fight so much. After all, both groups agree on the main things. Actually, Becoming like Jesus is too hard to even try. So let's agree to fight about politics and religion, hymns versus choruses, and to stay away from the tough issues and actually become like Jesus. And that's where his term vampire Christians come in. Most of us, Dallas muses, take a vampire approach to being Christian. We want just a little blood for our sins, enough for eternal life, but not a total transfusion of Jesus' life and character. And we certainly don't want to hang around, uh, don't want to hang around with him all the time. Are we vampire Christians? We just want a little bit? You know, just like for Onesimus, honesty with God begins with honesty for ourselves. And early on in this book, early on, Gary recognizes that. And I, I some of you, we all know about Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and it, was, it was set up, the whole 12-step program was set up on Christian principles. You know, it's been modified and changed over the years because, you know, not everybody believes in God and heaven forbid we should offend anybody. Uh, but... Uh, uh, Gary, in this, in this chapter, he took those uh, 12 steps and he rewrote them into 12 confessions. And oh my goodness, they're in your bulletin today. How about that? 
so for, for, for somebody who is an alcoholic, they, they work the program, they work the book, and what that means is that they work the 12-step. Because the 12-step is the first step in being brutally honest with yourself. And, and that's really where we all need to start, is to be brutally honest with ourselves. Because once we're honest with ourselves, we can be honest with God. And once we're honest with God, whew, the transfusion begins and the transformation begins. And we become who Christ created us to be. So here's my charge for you today. My charge for you is to, is to take this bulletin home with you. And it might not be an issue for you, and it might be an issue for you, because I believe that there's probably a little bit of Onesimus in all of us. There's probably a little bit of Philemon in all of us, and hopefully there's a little bit of Paul in all of us. There are times in our lives where we need to give forgiveness, not when it's warranted, but when it's asked for. We need to be forgiving people who love mercy and walk humbly with God. And sometimes we need to broker forgiveness between friends where one needs to forgive and the other one needs to ask for forgiveness. And sometimes we find ourselves needing to ask someone else for forgiveness. And we might need help. So hopefully you have someone like Paul in your life, someone you could go to and say, hey, I have something that I need to make right. And you know what? I'm, I'm scared because I don't know how the other person is going to react. And there are no guarantees that they're going to accept my apology and my request for forgiveness. Would you go with me? I hope that you have someone in your life like that. And you know what? I hope that you are like that in someone else's life. But it starts with us as individuals. And it starts with being honest with ourselves. Because honesty with ourselves leads to forgiveness. And forgiveness leads to restoration and reconciliation. And that's who God calls us to be as we live into his kingdom day by day. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. Yeah, well, the young man that, uh, that went to my father-in-law, as I told you, he did go to prison and, uh, had, and, and paid his debt to society and then went on to, to live a productive life. Would, would love to know what happened to Onesimus. Uh, N.T. Wright uh, suggests that there was a happy ending. Uh, uh, because if there hadn't have been a happy ending, uh, we would, this letter probably would have never seen the light of day. Uh, that Philemon would have taken it, just crumpled it up, thrown it away, and never thought a thing about it. Changed his life, that letter. Changed the life of the church. Changed the life of a young man named Onesimus. We have no idea what happened to Onesimus. It's not an uncommon name. But uh, years later, uh, there would be a bishop in Ephesus by the name of Onesimus. And the romantic in me wants to think that he tucked this letter away 
uh, because it was very, very personal. And when they started gathering the compendium that became our canon, he said, let's make sure this little letter gets included because this is practical Christianity at its best. To be a forgiver, to be forgiven, to be reconciled is the gospel in a nutshell. So let us be forgivers and let us be forgiven and let us be brokers of reconciliation as we live into the kingdom of God, knowing that there's a little Paul, a little Philemon, and a little Onesimus in all of us. That, my friends, is kingdom living at its best.